Well, welcome back. So many of you uh, texted or emailed or talked to me directly about the series that we're currently in, this looking at the Song of Songs and what that means for us. And last week we saw that this book is right in the midst of the divine drama, right in the midst of the divine story. And in fact, these love poems are really read during Passover, the celebration of Israel, the Jews' delivery from Egypt out of slavery, uh, that, that divine drama, and they have this very human book right here. And we learned that in that we see that really human desire and marriage and sex and attraction, uh, those are gifts from God for us and for His glory. That we could really see, and it seems strange to put God's glory in something like that, but if God took human beings who had been dehumanized as slaves in Egypt for all those centuries, and He, par- and he parted the Red Sea and sent them into freedom so that they could learn how to become human again. And part of being human is to have a desire. Part of being human is to be attracted to someone else. Part of being human is the desire to unite your lives and your bodies. That when we do that in God's timing, in God's way, that we then, It is for His glory. We are announcing, we are saying that the setting people free to be human, to be free in love and attraction, that then that is His glory. That that says that God's work was accomplished. And we're excited about that. So we did look and see that uh, this kind of plays out like a play. There's a, a male character, there's a female character, and there are some friends who also have. And so last week we had fun kind of reading this together. Unfortunately, there's no parts for you guys. There's no friends in this passage today. But I need Lori the Shulamite to come back up. And uh, <laughs> here, yes, here she comes. Remember, this is, this is poetry. I know this isn't uh, everybody's thing. Uh, in fact, you know, poetry is not really something in my wheelhouse. I know what I like when I hear it, but I don't go seeking it out. And, uh, and so, kind of got to get into that mindset. Metaphor. All those things that are going on. So, we'll read this together. You want, yeah, let's read it here. It'll be up on the, on the screen. Right, we need to be close for this passage. Yeah, we really do. All right, you start us okay. off. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. If you're going to act like that, I can't read it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, other young women in the building. No offense. (laughs) Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. Really? Yeah, raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen. My beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. 
My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, winter is past, if only. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding place on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Yay. <laughs> and be a gazelle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Poetry just carries you away, doesn't it? It's... Uh, it's one of those things, and we may not understand all of the metaphors that would be in, in a time that is far removed from us, you know, thousands of years ago. But you can still, if you have any imagination left at all, you can hear the attraction that is in this. You can hear uh, that they are excited to be with one another, that there's something that can barely hold them back. And so it is this beautiful, beautiful piece of work that we uh, sometimes gloss over or don't mention at all or just pick a few things here at random. And we're trying to look at this as we go together. So I want to tell you about a, a story that I think will help us kind of get into the flavor of what we are looking at. That, uh, and so we have a story of, this is a real life story, of a uh, Border Patrol agent named Dennis Dickey. And back on April 23rd, 2017, he and his wife were really excited because they were about to have a baby. And so they gathered their friends together and they went out into the fields and they had come up with this incredibly unique way of announcing the gender of the baby. It was a gender reveal party. These are like really popular now, okay? And so uh, they were throwing a party. They were excited. They were there. They had everything set up. And what Dennis was going to do, uh, he was going to, uh, we see it here, he had a, an exploding target set up. Now, I don't know if you can see on the on there at the top, it says boy. On the bottom, it says girl. And uh, what his idea was that he had rigged it so that when he shot the exploding target, it would explode and throw whatever color of powder it was supposed to be into the air. And then everybody would know if it was blue, it would be a what? Right. And if it was pink, it would be a. Right. Okay. So you're tracking with me. You get, you get how these gender parties work, right? Okay. So pretty cool. He was excited. Everybody was gathered. They were out. It was a lovely day. The wind was blowing a little bit. Uh, and he thought, oh, this is going to be great. Nice gusts here and there. When that, that powder goes up in the air, it's just going to carry. It's going to be nice. And so he, uh, he began, he, he called everybody together, said, gather around the t- It's time. He explained what he was going to do and he pulled out his right 
rifle and uh, got it all set and he lined up the sights and he looked through the scope. He got the target ready to go. He pulled the trigger. There was the crack of the rifle and the explosion. Blue powder going everywhere. Just like he said, that wind had picked up and it was blowing the powder up and people were starting to cheer so much so that they didn't see that the explosion had actually caught the grass on fire. Suddenly, cries of joy turned to cries of, oh no, what do we do? And everybody was grabbing everything they could to try and put this out. And that fire, that that breeze that seemed so nice at the time was driving the fire out of control. Eventually, Dennis and his family uh, being trained, he realized this is out of control. He's got to pull everybody back and they've got to call the professionals out. Unfortunately, it turned into what is now the sawmill fire that burned over 47,000 acres, required hundreds of firefighters and cost over eight million dollars what a story right what started out as something exciting what started out as something good and joyous turned into something disastrous that costs a lot in fact dennis's you know he pled guilty they had it on video i mean Um, And he's having to pay $500 a month for the next, I I think, 25 years or something like that. But he started with really good intentions, with something that's really exciting and something that's really good. And so, what did Arizona do in response to this besides finding him? Did they ban all gender reveal parties? Like, no more of those. You see where that goes. Forget it. No, they didn't do that. Did they say, all right, no fire is allowed in our state ever again. We see what fire does. It's damaging. It's terrible. No more fires. Get them out of your kitchens. Get them out of your water heaters. No more fire. We can't have that around. Of course not. They didn't do that. Did they say no more exploding targets? No, they didn't. Now, they did say when and where you could use them. But that is the nature they understood, that these things are all good and fun things. But when they're not used cautiously or in their proper context, they can cause immense catastrophic danger for many around. Now, it's not that the thing itself is bad. It's when it is improperly used that harm can be done. Now, Song of Songs really celebrates desire and love and sexual intimacy. We talked about that last last week, that it's not bad. It wasn't invented in a dark alley. It was a gift from God to human beings. But the song also cautions us at the same time that like fire or like an exploding target or, you know, those kinds of things that if they're not used in their proper context, can lead to some pretty catastrophic places. We saw this in verse 2, uh, in, in 2 verse 7. So there are warnings, there are cautions, both from the female character in this play and the male character in this scripture. And so she says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And she speaks that, oh daughters of Jerusalem. And she's, she gets waxes poetic by the stags of the field and the does of the field. Do not 
not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is beautiful. It's good. I mean, she's talking about it. She says, his, his, right, his left hand is, is under my head and his, his right hand embraces me. I mean, she's in close. And I think this is not something she's celebrating. This is great. But, daughters, it's a good thing. But don't stir it up before it's time. Don't make sure that you're a little cautious here. For, for him, he talks about catching the little foxes. The little foxes that ruin vineyards. Our vineyards that are in bloom. That... That there, you know, the, the metaphor of the vineyard, that it's in bloom, that we're in love, and it's a time of singing. It's a time. Somebody said they heard that carpenter song that I quoted last week. <laughs> you know, they're in there, but realizing and recognizing that in the midst of the beauty of the bloom of love, in the midst of the beauty of the bloom of arousal, in the midst of the beauty of the bloom of even creation that is calling for this togetherness. There are little things that can get in there and can destroy uh, the blooms in the vineyards. And so there is a caution. In some ways, it does this great balancing act. This song shows us the great balancing act that is required with this powerful gift of desire. And I want to reemphasize it. It is a gift. But it is a powerful gift. And if you're not careful, it can lead you to some catastrophic places. So it's hand, handling both the balance. Desire is so wonderful and gift. Be cautious with this. This is something to be embraced and cared for and nurtured, but done in a careful, concerned way so that you live in that balance. Now, so what's the church's track record with this? Unfortunately... I think a lot of times, not all, not in all circumstances, but I'll say on the whole, we have tended to be extreme like those silly examples when I was asking about what Arizona did with Dennis Dickey's exploding wildfire. And we have tended in some ways, or either we said it and it was heard wrongly, that desire is bad. Because we see the catastrophic damage that desire out of control can do, we have tended out of fear to say, desire's bad. Just stop. Stop it. We just say, stop it. Just don't do that. Stop. Just stop. Just stop. And, and don't get me wrong. It, it, we, we can't be silent about the catastrophic dangers that happen. Okay? We cannot. And I'm just going to run through some of them right now. A Barna study uh, two years ago said that only one in three students aged 12 to 25 think viewing porn is wrong. One in three. To, to put it in perspective, one out of two. So 50% think it's morally wrong not to recycle, but only 33% think it's wrong to look at porn. The, and, and ladies, before you kind of tune out and say, well, that's just a guy issue, the fastest growing segment of porn users are women. This is what is on the horizon. This is what is coming up. And I want you to know the dangers that are out there. Porn actually rewires your brain. Uh, if you want to take a, a minute, uh, you know, on your own time, look, uh, look up the website Your Brain on Porn. 
And it will look, this is not a Christian site, this is a scientific site that will point you to how dopamine actually rewires your brain. And when you connect that with the arousal and the excitement of porn and it gets out of control, you wind up rewiring your own brain. And not in a positive way. To the point where we have young boys, 16, 17, and 18, with erectile dysfunction because they've viewed porn so many times. That's catastrophic damage, folks. That's catastrophic. That's a wildfire out of control. Not only that, but porn objectifies people. Porn skews desire, and it never skews desire in a healthy way. It always skews it the other way. More enticing, darker, getting more involved, more times involved, more people involved. It is always there. It is what leads to a lot of the sex trafficking industry right now. The porn industry and the sex trafficking industry go hand in hand. And so for us to think, that's not a big deal, I'm not harming anybody, it's just an image on a screen, that image is an actual person. And so we have to be careful with this. And so what we have done is we have seen the real catastrophic damage. Don't get me wrong, it is real. But what we have done is we have responded out of fear and said no to all desire. That desire is bad. Desire for sexual intimacy is bad. All of those kinds of things. And we wind up telling our kids, just don't do it. The problem is, is that kids are hitting puberty younger and younger. Some studies say as early as 10 years old. And they're getting married later and later. The average age of first-time marriage right now is 30 So if you hit puberty at 10, the hormones do what the hormones do, but you're not married until 30, that's a lot of telling somebody no. And and honestly, and I say this as much to myself as anyone else, to just say no is the easy way out for the church. To just tell them it's bad and don't do it is the easy way. I know some of you who are teenage parents, or parents of teenagers, I should say, (laughs) may think it's not as easy as you think, Pastor Jeff. But the truth of the matter is, it is much more difficult to walk with your kids or with single folk through the dance of desire that the Song of Songs calls us to. It is much more difficult to talk again and again and again with our young people, with our, with our students in high school, in college, with our single folk. Where do they get to go to wrestle with, I have these desires, and I believe that they're good, but I don't know what to do. There's, there's, there's a lot. What do I do in the meantime? And as a counselor, I have dealt and sat with couples over and over and over who have been damaged because they've just been told no for 25 years and then they have a 30-minute ceremony and they walk back up the aisle and in essence we tell them, oh, you've got one of those on? Remember that stuff we've drilled into your brain for the last 25 years? Forget it all. Go. Be free. (laughs) And they find out on their honeymoon night that their brain won't let their body do what we told them they were free now to do. So there has to be a balancing act. And I believe that this song reminds us 
of the desire that is good, the things that are there, the things that will come up in your everyday human life. And says there are some cautions that need to take place in the midst of this. We must walk with people instead of just telling them what to do or what not to do. And that is harder. That is inevitably much, much harder. So one example I would like to to give you in this balance. Can you see, I don't know if you can tell exactly what that is. That's a skyscraper and that's a window washing uh, basket. Now, have you ever seen these on the side of skyscrapers? Have you ever gone uh, to a place with tall buildings? And, and so they, they have to be lowered down. There's, there's a, a winch or a, a rope on one side and the other. And they have to be lowered down at the same time. Otherwise, what happens? Well, this happens. Now, thankfully, they broke a window and got that guy out of there. He didn't go split on the pavement. But I think that the dance that Song of Songs calls us to do, both as individual human beings and as people who walk alongside other human beings, is to help them find the balance between emotional intimacy and maturity and the physical intimacy that mirrors that. So uh, emotional intimacy if requires some maturity. It requires some ability to actually make the commitment that physical intimacy would require. So if, if you just met, you're at the top of the building, emotional intimacy side. If you're already engaged in sexual activity, something's out of balance and somebody's going to end up on the pavement. There has to be the trust that is built. There has to be the getting to know one another. There has to be the involvement together. There has to be the age to be able to hold jobs and and be able to support a committed relationship together. There has to be those moments where you get to know one another deeply and as that you will find that those things progress from uh, just saying hello to holding hands to moving on down the line so that by the time you're ready to make that commitment it's in those premarital counseling times when i'm talking with couples and says sometimes it's just so hard to keep our hands off each other i'm like it should be that way because you've taken the time to build this emotional intimacy all the way down and i'd be worried about you if you didn't care about each other's bodies at all the truth is those have to line up and song of songs calls us to this balance. So how do we help? How do we begin to move from just saying no? And don't get me wrong, it's not that we can't say no. There are occasions, parents, you know what I'm talking about, where you've got to put a definite no. But that can't be the end of the story, the end of the conversation. We have to walk. We have to let them express truly what they are sensing and feeling. We've got to create the safety. So first thing you can do if you want to help, if you're going to commit to this balance of the journey that the Bible tells us through Song of Songs is a part of this dance of the gift of desire, the powerful gift of desire, is you need to think about how you think and feel about your own desires. If you're uncomfortable with your own set of desires, guess what your kids are going to pick up? That they should be uncomfortable with their own desires and the way they think about desire. 
So maybe there needs to be some healing. Because I know, I know there are people here who have been trapped by their own desire, much like they may have started with good intentions, but it's gone to be a wildfire. And you may need some healing. There are others here who have been abused because of someone else's desire. And that may make you uncomfortable with your own desire. I want to encourage you. There is healing for those kinds of wounds. And maybe you need to see a counselor for some time to see if Christ cannot bring healing in the midst of that so that you can understand the great gift that God has given humanity through desire. So how do you feel or think about desire? I want you to know on March 3rd, 2019, our youth are going to get together. Parents are invited and some adults are going to be talking. This is going to be uh, separated into boys and girls and parents. And we're going to be talking about some of these issues. So if, if you're a parent or you're a grandparent and maybe you want to be a part of that parents group that I'm going to lead, uh, I would invite you to be a part of that. Uh, I think it's going to be a good, healthy conversation around how we balance these kinds of things out. Parents, I have to ask you, have you talked to your kids about pornography? And have you talked with your kids about desire and this great gift that is in balance, that needs some balance? Have you, have you tried to talk with them about those things? And I don't mean just once. I don't mean just the birds and the bees talk. Their desires are like every seven seconds. Now, you don't have to talk with them every seven seconds, but it better be more than once in 25 years to tell them how things work out. And where babies come from, we have to do this. I know it can be uncomfortable, but do you see why this is such an important topic for the church to address? Have you set up safety parameters in your home? Have you gone in? Have you researched the latest technology so that you can put some boundaries on this? So you can have some of those hard borders that say, no, we're not going to go here in our home. Have you checked what they're looking at on on their computers, on their tablets, on their phones? Did you know that 25% of the Internet is porn? 25%. It's crazy. Have you set up safety parameters? Have you talked with your kids about the good of desire? Have you not just told them, no, don't do that, but have you told them, I know, this is hard. Have you shared stories of where it was difficult in your life? I remember. Yeah. It's it's a good, it's a good and powerful gift. And so we've got to learn how to how how with God's help to to manage this. And we can talk about these things and, and converse about these things because they're so important and so beautiful. And I I want to help you in every way. Are are we doing that? I know I'm I'm picking on parents, but, you know, folks, some of you have done your parenting and some of you have, you know, grandkids are even grown. Do you still remember? You know, there are folks that that might benefit from conversations or being a safe place. This one's even harder. Have you modeled good desire? Dads, do your kids hear you compliment your wife? What she looks like? Wives have... Have your kids heard you talk about your husband? What he looks like? Mm, He's so good. 
He looks like a gazelle leaping on the mountains. It's, it's not just taught, parents. It's caught. Do you still hold hands? Do you still cuddle? Are you afraid or ashamed for your kids to see you kiss? This is the dance. I, I know. I can just tell. There's just like this uncomfortableness in here today. It's a good thing I'm a therapist, you know, right? I'd run screaming from the room if I wasn't. But this is the dance. This is the walk that we are called to. And it is so much more involved than just say no. We have to move forward. So church, are we creating a space for single people to talk honestly about desire and struggle? Because it's not just our teenagers. It's not just our college students. There are folks that, that remain single. Well, well, we already know. 30 is first time marriage average right now. That's where we need adults who are comfortable with this, who will start maybe some groups where, yeah, you can talk about Bible and you can talk about those things, but also creating a safe place where you can just be an honest human being that you have desires and God gave you this great gift and you're in that squeezing place because there's nowhere to express that great gift. And you need or you want. Is there a safe place that can be created for that? The Song of Songs calls us And don't forget, the Song of Songs is in the Bible. We still believe the Bible Scripture? Yeah? Okay. So Pastor Jeff's not out on a tangent. Pastor Jeff is just trying to preach the Bible to you. To say that there is more than just saying no. There is a God who wasn't content to just say, don't do these things. But came and walked among us. And walked the walk with us. And taught us how to walk the walk. And modeled how to walk the walk. And showed us exactly what love requires. It requires great patience, great sacrifice. And He made all of those things. So that you and I could have that same spirit in us that allows us to walk the walk and to talk the talk with our kids, with our friends, with our partners, with our spouses. This is what we are called to. And we never walk alone. He is always with us and we are always together. So what are we going to do? I think it's time for us to start looking at how we model this beautiful dance, this beautiful balance that Scripture calls us to when it comes to the great and powerful gift of desire. Well, the last question is what price will we pay? Because it's uncomfortable. And I think that's a good question to lead us into closing prayer. It was the hardest part of, the, of uh, wrestling with God about this sermon. It was like, how do you close a sermon like that? Yeah. I think maybe we take some time to pray and really ask the honest question, what price am I willing to pay? Because this is going to take time. It's going to take being uncomfortable. It's going to take time to set some boundaries and It's going to take some time to let God look at my associations with desire. It might take money for therapy. What price are you willing to pay to live into this beautiful dance that the Song of Songs calls us to? So let's 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Don't worry, no altar call, no hands raised, nothing like that today. But simply taking a moment here before we go out into our world to wrestle with the question, what am I willing to pay? What price will I give to live in the dance? Let's take just a moment in silence.